This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people and the Jar Jar people of the Kulin Nations. We pay respects to Elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Colonisation and genocide are ongoing processes that continue to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. It's such a pleasure to see people boogieing to the to the theme song over Zoom. Um, we are Ospol Snack Pod, the podcast that is kind of like French fries, saltier than even you were expecting. That's right, everybody. Welcome back to Ospol Snack Pod, the podcast where normally two of Australia's foremost political nobodies would bring you bite-sized chunks of Australian politics and news with a side of crispy memes. But this week, we have a third political nobody, Tilda. Tilda, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, hi, yeah, uh, my name's Tilda, uh, my pronouns are she and they, um, I've been, I don't know, banging around the, the kind of trade union space for a little while, I used to be involved with the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union, uh, mm-hmm. long time listener, several time potlucker, mm-hmm. um, yep. and yeah, really, really pumped to be on, on the show, so yeah, thanks for having me, boys. Oh, you bet, we're so excited to have you here, Tilda, uh, we of course being Zach Lesnack, myself, and my co-host. That's me, Noon. I'm sorry, I forgot to introduce myself. I was so excited about Tilda introducing themselves. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm also excited about our new patrons, Shannon and L Gibbs. Thank you both so much for signing up. And listeners, if you love this show, you can support, or even if you just think we're like, okay, you can support us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. You get a monthly bonus episode, and you get onto our Discord, and you get some other cool shit at higher levels. So, why don't you do that? Yeah, I don't think you need to think something's amazing to want to give it $1 a month. That's true, you know? yeah, yeah. It's like, it can just be, yeah, you know, pretty good. It's fine, yeah. Uh, well, should we get into our first kinds of stories? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Can I offer you one of these, sir? No, no, take it away at once. So this is the aperitif section, where we talk about stories just very briefly for a really long time. Um, and this first one uh, was actually <laughs> sent in by a listener, our South Australian correspondent, Seamus. So, Seamus, thank you so much for the lead. Um, shouts. Uh, there is a South Australian election happening in, you know, about a month, six weeks, something like that. So um, we're trying to, like, not do so much East Coast supremacy as we normally do in a little bit of South Australian news. So this week, South Australian MPs staged a sit-in protest in the lower house on Wednesday. Um, the lower house has like stopped meeting until after the election, but the upper house is still going. And so this is a protest from the Labour Party, who's the opposition, and a bunch of independents, including a bunch of ex-liberals. And they're protesting what seems to be some fairly shonky arrangements for the election. Um, these MPs reckon that about 20,000 people will be isolating because of COVID and unable to vote on polling day. Um, yeah, geez. So they're, uh... From the ABC, legislation to reform elements of the state's electoral processes failed to pass through Parliament before the lower house rose in December. One of the changes would have been to allow uh, phone voting in certain circumstances. Um, and huh. Peter Malinoskis, who's the uh, the leader of the Labour Party, said, The Premier shut down the Parliament for five months to avoid scrutiny, and now the consequence of that will potentially be tens of thousands of people missing out on the opportunity to vote on Election Day. Uh, on the other hand, the Premier, Stephen Marshall, says they've been trying to do this for the last two years and that it's Labour and the crossbenchers' fault. He said, 
Labour and the Crossbench had plenty of opportunities to agree to this legislation beforehand. It's unfortunate that they wanted to play games, not support the very real situation that we're now confronted with. Uh, yeah, but uh, Peter Malinowskis again said um, the electoral reform bill had passed the upper house last year, had bipartisan support, and quote has been sitting idle on the notice paper since November. So it's seen like everyone's being like, "Well, it's their fault," which I imagine um, we'll get some more of that in the federal parliament a little bit later. Um, but this sit-in is, I would describe it as absolutely completely pointless because, according to In Daily. The Electoral Commissioner has told authorities his office doesn't have the capacity to set up a telephone voting system for COVID patients and close contacts, even if Parliament resumes to pass legislation allowing it. So, <laughs> good job, okay, guys. Great. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Love, love, nice, meaningful gestures from elected representatives. Uh, you got to love it. It's nice how everyone, um, including the people in Parliament, know how Parliament works and um, never mm. lie about what happens there. Yeah. Yeah, um, you actually need to know surprisingly little about the mechanics of parliament to get elected as it turns out it's yep definitely true all right our second aperitif uh is about a victorian labor mp uh, named uh koshalia vagela and she crossed the floor to vote against the victorian state labor government this week which is kind of huge deal for both drama reasons and like actual real world reasons so the real world things mm. first because you know that's what you always want on this show, Zach, uh, even though I love the drama. Um, but Materialism, please. Yeah. So the vote that she crossed the floor and was brought on by Adam Somirek, who, of course, is a uh, disgraced former Labour MP. A friend of the show. Of the party. Yeah, friend of the show, Adam <laughs> Somirek. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was kicked out for what we might call <laughs> alleged extremely blatant corruption and alleged extensive racist text messages and rants. Um just briefly from Wikipedia, <laughs> Somirek is alleged to have registered local party members with false details, taking funds from business owners to pay for party membership fees, and directing ministerial staffers with branch stacking activities. So, he was also accused I of mean, bullying. I mean, that's definitely alleged. The racist uh, text messages and conversation. Do we have to say alleged when it's, like, literally on tape? Yeah, plus it's unlikely he's going to sue Snackpod, but, like... <laughs> He definitely allegedly said those things. Um, but it, <laughs> I, I wanted to give a bit of context about Adam Somirek, uh, because the bill that he put forward uh, asks Parliament to refer the allegations of corruption involving the Labour Party to the Ombudsman and IBAC. Um, in 2018, the Ombudsman found that Labour had misused $388,000 worth of public money through the Red Shirts arrangement, uh, which saw campaign organisers employed as electorate officers. Okay, so this is pretty ironic. Uh, it's clearly very obviously revenge from Samirek's point of view. He doesn't care about corruption at all. Uh, he's just like, these guys kicked me out of the party. Um, I'm going to mess with them as much as possible, and this will be really inconvenient for them. Um, and that well, that's what he's been doing. He's just been like his, his toys out of the pram, basically, yep. since he got kicked out for corruption, because there was that, it was, you know... At the end of last year, he blocked the Victorian government's pandemic legislation mm. because he, he he was like, oh, yeah, I have lots and lots of morals, values, and ethics, and yep. voting for this would go against that. Yep. Like, sure, buddy. Sure you do. It's been, I strongly recommend going and having a look at his Twitter. It, it It's very self-indulgent and hilarious if you know even, like, one thing about him. Um, but this also kind of leads <laughs> into, the, like, the drama effect, right? Obviously, like, 
good. They should investigate the red shirts thing. Like, fine. Um, but the, the yeah. drama is also very clearly for revenge reasons. Um, so Labour MPs are not allowed to vote against the party. They're not allowed to cross the floor except in very specific circumstances, and this was not one. So Vagella, the MP who crossed the floor, will almost certainly be expelled from the Labour Party if she doesn't resign first. But uh, she did that fully knowing it because she definitely, like... She did that on, on purpose. So here's a line from the uh, uh, quote from the ABC. <laughs> Late last year, Miss Vagella was not re-endorsed for this year's election as part of a factional purge. Soon after Le the Mayor. vote, the M- yeah, yeah. <laughs> the MP put up a statement on social media which said that as a former staff member of the socialist left faction of the party, she knew, quote, all about their branch stacking activities and their electorate offices being used for factional purposes. So I just love that. She's just being like, yeah. I was corrupt and, until I didn't get reelected, and and now I want to vote to investigate corruption. <laughs> I I love the you can't fire me. I quit. You can't quit. We fired you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're firing me. Well, I'm going to get you investigated for corruption. Also, the the socialist left faction. I haven't really heard it described as that way before. Maybe like how small is the social like? <laughs> I think how that's Daniel Andrews' faction. Parliament? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, he's a full-on Stalinist. Very different (laughs) situation. He's in a Papa G's pocket. (laughs) So anyway, I I just love that this story, like, just illustrates how you know important decisions get made in Parliament. It's it's purely for petty, salty, personal bullshit reasons, and under no circumstances does anyone vote for anything for the public good. So good. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thanks for that lovely, edifying trip through various state <laughs> politics news. You're welcome. Always nice to check in on the absolute shittiest people <laughs> at the shittiest level of government. Um, but now it's time to move on to our next segment. Fashy Australia. That's over to you, Tilda. Awesome. Um, cool. Well... I guess everyone listening at home has probably heard a fair bit about this religious discrimination bill this week. It's really just been mm. exploding everywhere. So um, uh, Zach and Noon asked me to come on the show and uh, have a chat about about that. And I thought, okay, yeah, you know, 10-minute segment sounds fine. And then I just started reading and reading and reading <laughs> um, and <laughs> and getting all fired up. So um, We know the feeling. Yeah. It's us every week. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Zach, do you have a file in your... Um, in your soundboard there to play. I absolutely do. Let's hit it. All right, because we're heading back in time. <laughs> Those are the time chimes. Um, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> to some of the origins um, of uh, where all this comes from. So I'll set the scene. The year's 2010. Um, the Prime Minister for now is Kevin Rudd. Uh, <laughs> and he's on the the beleaguered, embattled kind of end of the... The gauge. I don't know mm-hmm. which one is yep. worse, but he's there. Um, his deputy Gillard is from uh, the left wing of the party. Rudd's from the right, and this is always how it works. The leader's on the right wing and the deputy's on the left or vice versa. That's just kind of a, a rule they've got. Um, right. So Gillard wants to roll Rudd, but she hasn't got the numbers to do it. Um, she needs some help from the right wing of the party. And who does she recruit to help her roll Kevin Rudd? But that's our boy, Joe De Bruin. Now, does that name ring any bells to you two? I like, 
small faint bell in the next room. Sure, yeah, okay. Is this the and guy th- that like lied about some leaks or something? Okay, no, I'm just guessing. Please tell us. Yeah, you're guessing. Um, so it's not he, narrowing it down a lot. At the time, he was the uh, secretary of the Shop Distributive and Allied Employees Association, oh. the SDA. He was in that role for 34 years. A couple of years back, right, he stood down. Right, right, right to become president of the SDA. Um, and he sits on the board of rest, like the compulsory superannuation um, fund that you have to put your money into in, in a lot of workplaces in retail. Mm. Uh, he gets $200,000 of, um, you know, minimum wages, uh, minimum wage workers superannuation every year as his salary for that. Um, and he controls basically the biggest part of the ALP um, right-wing faction, the SDA. Mm. Um, they have massively inflated membership numbers to start with and that helps them get massively inflated kind of influence in the in the ALP. Um, mm. So Julia Gillard, our um, uh, unmarried, uh, childless atheist um, leader, wants to, um, you know, roll, roll rudd and she needs Joe DeBruin's support. And Joe DeBruin gives her that support on the condition that in her term she does not introduce the marriage equality bill, which is the very, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think this is the very, very beginning of where all this stuff comes from. Right. Um, mm. and well, you know, like obviously it's long, long history of the SDA and, and the, the groupers and the national national civic council and stuff within the labor movement, pushing things to the right and, you know, anti-communism and all that. But this, in, in terms of the today, what we're facing, it's, the first kind of big sop to the right wing, which kicks this off, I think. And that, that's kind yeah, of, kind of the, the, the thread here is like all these concessions get made to the right wing and it's this, this ratchet motion, right? Like it never, yeah. the concessions never roll the other way. Yeah. Okay. 100%. So scrolling a few, few years into the future, we've got Malcolm Turnbull, the year's 2018. Um, he's rolled Tony Abbott, very deeply conflicted man, you know, came out of the the Republican movement wasn't sure if he's going to join labor or liberals and ended up joining the liberals, but wanted to seem progressive anyway, you know, and seemed to have as a, you know, something he wanted to get done in his time was the marriage equality bill. Um, but the right wing hates this idea in the liberal party, right? They're not having a bar of it. They don't want it. And like, like we're talking about in the, in the aperitifs, right? Like the liberals always say, Oh, we're not like labor. We've got freedom. We can cross the floor. We can vote with our conscience as we like. Right. But the, the party room wouldn't allow a conscience vote on marriage equality at all. Um, and they wouldn't allow, um, you know, one of the things that the concessions that ended up getting put up was that awful plebiscite that we had to do, but they weren't even accepting that at that point either. They were saying, no, that's not enough. You know, even if it's not a referendum and it's not binding, we can ignore the results. Um, we're still not going to go along with it unless you bring in this review into religious freedom. Um, so this is, this, and that's the way we ended up getting the Marriage Equality Act is not through uh, a conscience vote under a Gillard government because she was barred from doing that from the SDA, not under a conscience vote under the Turnbull government. He was barred from doing that by the right wing of his party. We had to introduce this religious freedom um, uh, inquiry. And the ratchet goes the ratchet again. goes again. <laughs> right? And a couple more clicks to the right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Philip Ruddock got um, appointed as the, the chair of the expert panel there. Um, 
And I don't know if uh, a lot of listeners at home will remember Philip Ruddick. He, like, a lot of people like to make fun of, like, uh, Peter Dutton for uh, looking increasingly evil as time goes on, like, more <laughs> orcish kind of features. But Ruddick really is, like, the original, like... He's the OG. He's Emperor Palpatine, like, just <laughs> rotting from evil. Um, he was the immigration minister under Howard, and oversaw like the kids overboard thing and the Tampa crisis and all of yeah. that, and really instituted things like uh, you know Baxter Detention Center and Woomera Detention Center and all the onshore detention centers we used to have. Really like laid the ground for people like Scott Morrison and Peter Dutton to set up the whole border force offshore concentration camp nightmares that we've got now. You know he's really the grandfather of all that, and it's got to put you pretty high in the running for absolute worst person in Australian political history. Like, you know, maybe he's not the worst, but he'd make the top 10. Right. And with, with pedigree like that. And for the conservative wing of the Liberal Party, he is their man, right? He's exactly who mm. they want. Like, the, oh, find us the most Heading evil guy this. we want. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we can get this, this report. So the report came down in uh, May of 2018 and um, they sat on it until December of 2018. By the time Scott Morrison had become prime minister, I'm just going to read a couple of the um, findings of the report because I, I just find them absolutely, absolutely astonishing. Um, so the first one. Hit us. To the extent that these reforms raise complex issues beyond the scope of this review and in the absence of clear information that the current framework is causing real problems, the panel makes no recommendation in this area. However, the issue should be looked at again in the future. So, like... <laughs> There are no problems. The laws with religious freedom. With religious freedom. The current legal framework is fine. We've looked at it, yep. can't find any real problems. This Tr is coming from Philip Raddick. Like an arch conservative <laughs> from the arch conservative wing of the arch conservative party. Well, who has been They're set like up on a commission to discover issues around <laughs> religious discrimination. It's just like, no, it's watertight. We already won. We have been winning. Uh we've fully won. Yeah. Like <laughs> I feel like that kind of makes sense because Christians, like, legitimately are not discriminated against in Australia while a bunch of other religious groups are. So, like, <laughs> it mm. seems like not changing anything should be what they, like, figured out was best for them. But it is still, like, surely they could invent some oppression. They're very good at doing that. So, like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. That, well, it is shocking. just, well, I'll, <laughs> just I'll, wait and see. I'll, I'll continue. Um <laughs> So there's another little bit I found pretty interesting. Those jurisdictions that retain exceptions in anti-discrimination laws for religious bodies with respect to race, disability, pregnancy, or intersex status should review them having regard to community expectations. This includes the area of education. So they're kind of saying there's a bunch of exceptions in um, anti-discrimination uh, anti law already, and mm. we should tighten them. Like... Mm -hmm. right. Uh, there's way too much leeway for people to be racist, ableist, um, you know, misogynistic, um, or against intersex people. Interestingly, mm. leaves out sexuality, leaves out gender, but says like, if, yeah. you're, if you're pregnant, you know, but like just another admission, like there's already too much discrimination allowed under religious freedom laws yep. currently. Like <laughs> if anything, mm. tighten it up. Many, uh, many surprise. Yeah. Much shock. Uh, Okay, and here's, I think, one of the, the most hilarious bits. Many of the submissions to the panel focused, on, focused their attention on specific instances of where the right to manifest religious belief was perceived to be under threat. So we're talking about, like, 
uh, having to bake a gay cake or, you know, a, a priest having to do a, a gay wedding or whatever, you know. Um, it's amazing that the shit that comes up and that, like, literally baking a gay cake <laughs> is... <laughs> Was of this huge fucking culture war flashpoint? Like- yeah. Well, it's not the first time cake has been central to Australian political discourse. There was also <laughs> was it fight back with John Hewson was all about birthday That's right. cakes and it, <laughs> cakes are important. Man, someone should ask Scott Morrison how much a birthday cake uh, costs. It'll, very, it'll blow up. Very important, legitimate, serious country we have here. I want to know what a Viennetta costs. Mm. You had a Viennetta recently. I need Through to get the roof. One. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, well, uh, the other interesting thing is we're talking about statements of belief, right? Which is um, really kind of like the, the hot issue right now um, yeah. in, in a lot of senses. Um, so many of, the, many of the submissions attain to that kind of thing about baking the gay cake and all that kind of thing. The panel received limited information to suggest that the right to freedom of religion is currently being infringed in any of these areas. <laughs> the panel notes that the Marriage Amendment Act included a number of measures to protect religious freedom and that these and other protections appear to be operating effectively. It's just so fucking cut and dried. Yeah. It, <laughs> it's just so definitive. Yeah. This, this is this is Philip Ruddick. This is And from Philip such a bias source. Ruddick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like they looked as hard as they could and they couldn't find any legitimate complaints about this that the law doesn't already currently deal with. Um, so, of course, Scott Morrison um, releases this in uh, December of 2018, um, mm-hmm. along with a, um, a media release um, saying, the review concluded that there is an opportunity to further protect and promote freedom of religion under Australian law and in the community. Wow, that is Just- like a very fucking squinty-eyed <laughs> <laughs> interpretation. <laughs> Uh, and so then in 2019, the bill was introduced and it's kind of been, been floating around, um, since then rearing its ugly head, getting, you know, whack-a-mole gets bonked down. It's never, ever been popular. Like no one wants it. And they mm. just try and every time it comes up, it causes a bit of a furor and then it gets, gets kind of done. Put but back it, in the drawer for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but obviously the Morrison government wanted to get it through before, uh, the elections. That was kind of their, their big plan. Um, but it's kind of been pared down in a lot of senses from what they they first put up. Um, yeah. You know, there's been a lot of concerns around like constitutionality and whether it's going to overwrite state law, state discrimination laws, and and things like that. But like the crux yeah. of it still is about this statement of belief stuff, and it really uh, just is only going to exacerbate issues like you're talking about in um. Last week's show uh, in, in Fashy Australia again with the City Point Christian College, mm. um, their uh, you know the other other that CCC was all about statement of belief. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> glad someone appreciated that joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and like there's another one I've seen recently. Uh, like uh, Penrith College um, has just come out this week, and it, it it's wild. Like you were saying last week with the they can't wait until it's legal they're already yeah. pushing it you know like yeah um oh i think noon's analysis last week about uh city point kind of forcing the hand of certain moderate mm. liberals or whatever or like mm. bringing the issues to the forefront has turned out to be very true and those like extra bigoted bigots who just like jump the gun in order to be the worst people possible 
before they were legally allowed to, really fucked it up for themselves. Yeah, they did. They did. So um, very funny. We've got the the principal of Penrith Christian School here. Um, they didn't really make a contract for people to sign, but they sent out a statement of faith to all the parents um, of children at the school, saying that it needed to be read and understood um, as part of any prospective application, and you can discuss it further. Um, covers our present needs as to fundamental doctrines, uh, and then it details its understanding of fallen relationships, uh, oh, described cool. as... <laughs> that sounds chill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Adultery. Same-sex attraction, transgender identity, premarital sex, sexual acts between members of the same sex, and abusive relationships are all examples of relationships and behaviours which are not acceptable to God. Like... Jesus Christ. So this is... This is already essentially legal, right? That's a statement of belief. Um, But that's... Apparently we don't have enough of that kind of speech in the world at this mm-hmm. point in time. And, and we need Not to formalized notarized hate speech yeah, going around with yeah. school principal signatures on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's Jesus just Christ. phenomenally, you know, like, and it's, it's spreading. Right. And I don't think it's any coincidence that they're pushing on it now. Like it, it's, it's, yeah. be- it's because of the bill and we're already yeah. seeing the effects, you know, like it, whether it's strategic um, in terms of like how things play out in parliament, to, for schools to be behaving this way before the law comes into effect is another thing, but this is just a taste of what we've got coming, right? Like, yeah, mm, and this is what mm. the conversation is, you know, always around this stuff. Like, what does it encourage in the world, even before it's law or even before it's been being debated mm. in Parliament? You know, likewise with the marriage equality plebiscite. You know, what kind of conversations is it initiating even before we get the result? We know, like, we have hard evidence that it's fucking harmful yeah absolutely so yeah i mean uh earlier in the week there was basically an amendment uh put up to say that you couldn't expel uh queer kids from school mm-hmm. um which you know people were like oh great fantastic i'm glad that happened but then they kind of looked into it a bit further and it didn't protect trans kids it was only um based on children's sexual attraction, um, yeah. which is yeah. kind of a wild thing to be legislating about in any event. Um, Seriously. <laughs> uh, but, and basically the Morrison government's response to this was, well, we need to protect trans kids, right? But like, or we need to deal with the issue. Um, but we simply don't have time in this parliament to do that. There's just no time to, to kind of do it. And, in the lead up to um, to the vote, um, there was a lot of wishy washy stuff coming out from the ALP. You've got like mm. uh, so Tanya Plibersek being like, "Yeah, you know, we're going to protect queer kids and we're going to protect you know teachers and things like this." And it's like, how? I think the Im- important thing to note there is, and it comes back again to um, the internals of the Labor Party and mm. your inability to cross the floor within it, mm. um, and Joe De Bruins. Um, continuing influence and the SDA's mm. con- continuing influence over the party because they had caucused on this already. Um, and by the time, you know, there was all this kind of, you know, like, oh, we've got to ring all our MPs and ask them to vote against the bill. Mm. The ALP had already decided uh, we're going to try an amendment, amend it. If we can't amend it, we'll pass it. And if it gets to the Senate, we'll try and amend it there. And if we can't amend it there, we'll pass it. 
it's going through one way or another. And mm. there's a lot of head scratching going on at the moment. People saying, yeah. like, well, why would the ALP do this? Why wouldn't they, you know, like, vote for Just the amendments the and against the bill? You know, like, you can yeah. do both. Like, the Greens did both. Could it be because they're conservative bigots? Absolutely. I'm just guessing Absolutely. here. Like it's just... Yeah. Yeah. There's um there's a bunch of them. <laughs> and they're, yeah. they're all absolute cowards. Um, there's like the rump of the right wing of the ALP, which just really needs to be reckoned with, is just a social yeah. conservative, traditional yeah. Catholic, um, you know, power block, which holds the sway of the, the right wing of the party. And then there's yeah. just a bunch of, you know, enlightened centrists who are saying we've got to keep the people in Western Sydney and central Queensland happy because they love right. homophobia, which is such an, like a, the levels of support for this bill are so low. Yeah. Everywhere. Like 20% max, you know, like, like no, like, no one wants this. The other thing that puts a lie to that is that there's so many policies that are super popular that the Labour Party doesn't put up because they're, like, conservative or afraid of the, like, real politic of the libs or whatever, like any kind of climate action, for example, all sorts of things. (laughs) Um, And, like, clearly that's not what they actually care about. Um, So why would they care about it, like, the other way here, you know? Oh, absolutely. I think, I mean, so much of the conversation around this has been, like, uh, about... Well, it's sort of predicated on the idea that Labour is, uh, that they're kind of virtuous cowards, right? They they right. want to do the right thing, but they're just, oh, politically, they, they don't have the backbone for it. But as you're saying, Tilda, it's like, no, they're actually chock full of fucking conservatives who literally didn't want this bill to pass. And, you know, looking at their sort of so-called political justification for, uh, you know, like, oh, we need to appeal to voters in these districts that we have just decided are bigoted. Also, it's just like, that's a deeply right-wing and conservative position to take as well. Like, oh, mm. these multicultural communities in Western Sydney, they, you know, we, we, you know, we need their vote, so we need to be homophobic. It's yeah. like that. There's no queer like, kids out there. Seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, absolutely pathetic stuff. It, it's pathetic. It's also just so short-sighted because, you know, a lot of these kind of moderates are saying, like, we don't want this to be an election issue, but it just, it's the ratchet thing again. It happens every single time, whether Mm. it's climate, whether it's like housing policies, you know, like negative gearing and stuff, whether it's anything, it's like, well, we don't want to get wedged on this. So we're going to do nothing. And guess what? You still get wedged. Yeah. Like it, like, (laughs) like it, it, I mean, if you base your entire sort of political strategy around the idea of not taking a position on anything, then like, you're not going to have much of a political identity left to like buy back with. And you just let your opponents like create a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I'm skeptical that like people whose number one issue is like no gays, no trans are going to vote for the Labour Party under any circumstances, right? Like they, they're not as enthusiastically bigoted as one nation or the libs or whoever else is available. And they also don't stand for shit else. Like I don't understand how they keep getting so much of the vote. Anyway, that's, that's a, a decades-old mystery that we don't have time to go in for right now. But um, well, I feel like Tilda's kind of getting at it with getting the, at it. Like That's the true. SDA. They mm. have yeah. this, mm. they have this enormous conservative block within the party, and you know, you know, representatives go to get to go out there and kind of position themselves as the socially progressive alternative without actually mm. backing it up mm. at all, purely because they have Labour Party branding. Yeah, yep. and it's ultimately just a fucking misconception at this point. It's um. Like ever since the marriage equality 
debate kind of kicked off. And I think particularly, like, I don't want to really overstate Rafu's significance here, but I think particularly since an alternative um, popped up on mm. the scene to, like, if, you, if listeners aren't familiar, the SDA represents um, workers in, they're supposedly a union and they represent workers in retail and fast food. Um, and they've just been doing really, really shitty EBAs for years and years and years now and ripping, taking people's penalty rates away before, you know, Tony Abbott even imagined that it was a possibility. Yeah. Um, that, that's just been their shtick. And in 2016, the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union um, started. They're independent from the ALP. And I think that really did put pressure on them at the time mm. because not only was um, you know, public opinion um, moving away from you know, homophobia and stuff, which the SDA had funded, right? They'd, they'd funded submissions to the Senate against stem cell research. They'd funded mm. um, submissions to the Senate against, you know, abortion rights and, you know, and, and against gay marriage, saying that retail workers aren't interested in things like that. Like, have you worked in retail? Like, everyone's yeah, queer. Christ. Well, yeah. maybe we're not interested in getting married, but we're interested in, like, getting fisted and stuff. Like, it's... <laughs> <laughs> It's, anyway, um, <laughs> where's the fisting research? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Listen to your fucking members. Religious fisting uh, bill when? <laughs> <laughs> so, but since then they've kind of had to shut up. They've been le- much less obvious um, mm. about their um, social agenda, but it's still there. And if you're ever scratching your head saying, why is the ALP being so conservative about this? It's just numbers and conservatism. Like they are a conservative party and they have been, Right from the start, if you look at like white Australia policy and all that kind of stuff, you know, like it, yeah. it's it's just branding that they could appear in any other any other way. Yeah, or just they they have this horribly disgusting right wing yardstick against which to measure themselves yep. in the Liberal Party. That's a low bar to clear. This also comes in the context of um, the ALP you know, as part of this uh, small target kind of strategy. Since March last year, have been gutting um, their LGBT platform completely. Mm. Like they've removed 40 references to it from their platform. There's basically no policies. Like no one should be surprised that the ALP, they've already said as of a year ago, you're not our priority. We don't value your issues. Um, It's, you know, um, it's not that surprising. So the vote went ahead. Um, They were in uh, the lower house for um, ages until like five in the morning. Mm. Um, kicking around a bunch of amendments um, and there were two really close votes. Um, one of them was from um, Rebecca Sharkey in the end. Um, and it was... It's a crossbencher. It's a crossbencher, yeah. For Central Alliance used to be Xenophon team thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but basically that was interestingly not an amendment to the religious discrimination bill, but mm-hmm. amendment to the human rights legislation Um and basically uh, fix the issue around trans kids. Um, so, so much for there not being any time an independent crossbencher can... Um, <laughs> whip, whip up the, the <laughs> amendment yeah. in an afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not, not, not to undermine the work that she'd done to get it up or anything, but no, like, no. the Liberal Party certainly had the resources to make that happen. Yeah, slightly better funded than Rebecca Sharkey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and the other really close bill, actually, the close amendment actually did come from um, the Labor Party, and it was in regard to um, the statement of belief. Um, and so for the First Amendment that did get across the line, um, 
the Rebecca Sharkey amendment, five liberals crossed the floor um, and the government got whipped um, and it was a real, real real kind of victory. Um, But the other one, only Trent Zimmerman, who is a a prominent gay liberal and um, Bridget Archer um, crossed the floor. Crossed the floor about this in the past. Yeah. Right? yeah. Oh, and no, it was the, the, it was the anti-corruption thing maybe in the past. Mm-hmm. But who has a history of... History of crossing the floor mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, having... having. Although she's a liberal, she seems to have some modicum of um, morality. Um, and yeah, yeah cr- crossed the floor um, on that issue. But it um, was the vote was tied, 62 to 62. The Speaker voc- voted with the government, um, which I think is ultimately a matter of process, right? Like if it's about amending legislation... Yeah, yeah. Um, you're supposed to just the status quo is to vote with the status quo as the speaker. Um, so it's not necessarily a political decision, but it's not surprising the speakers from the Liberal Party anyway. You know, yeah. Um, so it was very close that one. If if one other Liberal had crossed the floor, um, they would have got that up. Yeah. Um, and then it's not even popular legislation within the fucking Liberal Party. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that would that would have fixed a lot of issues with um, statements of belief and things like that. Um, but then finally the big vote happened and Labor voted for the bill. Uh, and the only liberal who crossed the floor was, um, Bridget Archer. Um, and it just kind of blows my mind that that happened. Like if it's a matter of it, it's going to pass either way. Mm. Um, I mean, it, sh- it shouldn't, shouldn't blow our minds cause we know about the SDA and everything, but it's just like, they, they really don't care about this. They'd already decided they wanted the bill to pass. Yeah, they, they abs- absolutely did, and because I mean, Albanese has been trying to both sides this the entire mm. time, basically being like, it, essentially, I mean, what you've described, Tilda, is that the government has confected this idea of religious discrimination against Christians specifically. That's what they're talking about, yeah. and they've yeah. pulled this idea out of their ass, and it's been repeatedly slapped down again and again. This time, it was brought out, and Albanese basically took the bait and said. Actually, we do in the Labour Party stand for religious freedom and people should have that. So we are going to support this bill, even though we have concerns about something, something, queer kids, something, something. And so, like, they were, yeah, committed to appearing to be in support of religious freedom in this context where it's a completely meaningless thing to stand up for in any case, Mm -hmm. which is... Spot on. This is not 5D chess. No, no, no. This is 1D chess at best. Going off the kind of the outcome of the um, the amendment, the failed amendment on statements of belief, Mm. uh, you know, you you only needed one more cross, uh, one more liberal to cross the floor Mm. to beat that bill. You know, if you if you could put some pressure on Trent Zimmerman, he probably crossed with with Bridget Archer. They just needed to get one more. Um, Like this, they're painting it as like. They had no choice but to support it. They're painting it as if it's it's also very important to us that we have religious freedom. We actually need this bill. And they're also painting it as like, you know, we did everything we could. But there's so many things, even just the symbolic thing of saying, like, no, we don't stand for this. Um, they Seriously. didn't didn't want to take up. And in the end, on the day, more liberals voted against this bill than Labor, you know, yeah. which is just, you know, that that should tell you what you need to know. Yep. Um, so it's, it's pretty gross stuff. Um, oh, if, if we needed any more clarification on this, cause there's this infuriating tweet going around, like, uh, from one of these drips on Twitter being like, oh, I'm not seeing a lot of people apologizing to the Australian Labor Party today. 
What? Uh... <laughs> because, and that's in the context of, yeah, and that's in the context of Scott Morrison has withdrawn the legislation. Well, the Liberals have withdrawn the le- legislation from the Senate. It's not going to get passed before the election. Mm. Um, so thank you, Labor Party. Um, yeah. Can I, I just leave in draw- that I, I've been impressed as well that not only the Labor Party has been claiming credit for this, but also the Greens when it's clearly just it, it was the government realizing how bad of an idea it was. I think like it's it seems pretty clear yeah. it wasn't the Greens or the Labor Party that had this effect. But you know, go off, I guess. So uh, just to kind of if if you are currently you know sitting down at your your writing desk and filling out your apology form to the Australian Labor Party. <laughs> um, I just want to um, read this out to you. It's a Labor Party um, media media thing today. Um, it is extraordinary that the Prime Minister has walked away from his commitment to extend anti-discrimination laws by not debating the legislation in the Senate today. Wow. As a result of the government's decisions, it appears the legislation will not proceed. A future Labor government will prevent discrimination against people of faith, including anti-vilification protections, act to protect all students from discrimination on any grounds, and protect teachers from discrimination at work while maintaining the right of religious schools to preference people of faith in the selection of their staff. Fucking hell. So they're going ahead with it. They're going ahead with it one way or another. It does not matter. Um, And what this the Morrison government have managed to do, like they realize it's a bad idea, but they also realize it's one of these Christ-attunity kind of situations because um, <laughs> they've they've got the wedge. Trans kids are going to be the election issue now. Mm. And it, it, if you Fucking thought the plebiscite was bad... Yep. The, like, How could we this hone election in is going an even to be... more vulnerable subgroup yeah. of, of the queer community? Yeah. They, they've, they've absolutely got a, a, something to, to thrash... Um, and they can stand there and say, you know, like some sections of the party can say, we're not putting the legislation anymore. You know, it needs some more time. And other, other people, uh, you know, can pander to their reactionary lecturers and say like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're going to get those trans kids out of the schools. You know, there's only two genders, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it's that that's what's coming out of basically how this is this has all been handled. And I think what makes it worse than the marriage equality debate is that the marriage equality demand um was itself assimilationist. Mm. It's saying, you know, and and it's a very fair demand, don't get me wrong. Like, it is absolutely a matter of legal discrimination against queer people that we couldn't get married. Um, That's just unquestionable, like, inequality, and it was worth fixing. But how that functions societally is, um, yeah, you can be gay, yeah, you can have your kids... Yeah, you know, you can drop them off at soccer and get married, and we're, like we don't even have to know that you're gay. Mm. Yeah. Whereas trans people do not have that luxury. Mm-hmm. Trans kids do not have that luxury, and this fight is about something I think a lot more contentious than than gay marriage is about visible queerness and queerness yeah. that mm-hmm. can't just be mm-hmm. retracted and assimilated, and in fact refuses to retract and assimilate. Yeah. Um, so. I think that's just the the scariest part of of all of this um, is that you know we've got people like Tim Wilson. He's a lower lower house member. He didn't move mm-hmm. any amendments. He didn't cross the floor. He didn't. You know, he, he's a gay man. He got his. He can get married now. He is married. Yeah. Like, and so many of these 
cis gay people who've gone the assimilationist route, um, you know, are not going to be loudly, you know, protecting us. And the way the Labour Party is framing this for after the election, should they take government, then, uh, like, they're just making it about education. Yeah. Instead of all the different places, every workplace where this opens you up for yeah. legal homophobic abuse. Mm. You know, it's just, yeah. Um, so it's a really bad time for trans people. Um, you should do something nice for them, buy them a PlayStation 5 or um, something like that because <laughs> we, need, we need help. And that's Fashy Australia. It is. It's Fashy <laughs> as fuck. Well, thank you so much for taking us through that, Tilda, doing all that deep research and bringing all that extremely robust analysis and, you know, reminding us that uh, it, there has never been a time when uh, solidarity with trans comrades has been more necessary. So, yeah, uh, it's grim and fuck the fucking ALP. One, two, three, fuck, fuck the, the ALP. ALP. Four, five, six, fuck, fuck the, the ALP. ALP. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that rhyme. All right. Um, we're going to move on now to our First Nations story, uh, which comes with content warnings. Um, it's about police murdering an Aboriginal man, and I'll, I'll use his name as well. So um, if you don't want to hear that, uh, we'll put time codes in the show notes and you can skip to the end of the show. So... Um, the murder trail has begun of the police officer Zachary Rolf, who shot and killed an Indigenous man uh, called Kumanjaya Walker in the remote community of Uendamu in 2019. And I imagine many of our listeners are familiar with this. Um, it's a story that we've been paying a lot of attention to as it's developed over the last few years. Um, mm. And obviously it's sort of huge that it's even going to trial to charge an officer with murder of an Indigenous man. Um mm. Uh, and so it, it, it was put off a few times and there have been various issues about getting it started because of COVID and so on. Um, but the trial has finally begun. And this week the court heard from Police Sergeant Frost, who was the sergeant at the Uendamu police station. Um, and she called in the immediate response team, the IRT, which is a subsection of this kind of, it's a bit hard to explain, but it's like a generalist specialist police team based in Alice Springs. So basically uh, this team in Alice Springs has a bunch of like squads within it. So there's bomb squads, riot squads, search and rescue squads and so on. And they're based in Alice and then go out to the rest of the Northern Territory when they're needed. Um, and Frost called in the IRT um, because Uendamu didn't have enough officers for various reasons about funding and medical staff and Blah, 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 blah. Not super important. But they, they had these out-of-town cops from this, like, hardcore squad come in. Um, and about 7 p.m., um, she was briefing them about this young man known as Kumanjaya after his death um, and said, like, tomorrow morning at 5 a.m., go to his house and arrest him while he's asleep, which is apparently a very common police tactic when they're worried about violence or whatever and that you know when people are asleep they're much easier to arrest unsurprisingly it's kind of horrifying but when you think about what happened instead it seems like maybe it would have been a good idea um and it, it was quite interesting evidence from this sergeant frost um 
she said that one of the officers asked, like, what if we run into him throughout the night before 5am? And she was like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. You can arrest him if you bump into him. And she also said that one of the officers was, like, aggressively ignoring her during the briefing and, like, trying to take over control of the conversation. And he also asked, like, are there guns in the community? And she was like, no. So something like six minutes later, after this briefing, they went to Kamajaya's house to arrest him. Something like 12 hours earlier than what the sergeant gave in her Mm. orders. Um... And so then the court also has seen uh, body cam footage that shows Kumanjaya stabbing one of these officers with some scissors, and then Rolf shoots him three times. And this uh, this footage was under a suppression order for a long time. It's now been released in public, and if you want to, you can go and watch that footage. It's obviously, like, deeply upsetting. Um, so, you know, that's totally up to you if that's something that feels like it would be uh, appropriate or significant or... Um, traumatic but anyway that's been played and is now public and um the prosecution are now they're arguing that the first shot was lawful right that um kumanjaya stabbed this guy with scissors and then the first shot is sort of an appropriate response to that again according to the prosecution i'm not weighing in on that one way or the other uh but then the second and third shots were both illegal and went against the training that Rolf had been given about firing shots. So here's a quote from The Guardian. Mm. The first shot is not subject to any charges, but the second and third shots, with the prosecution, uh, which the prosecution alleges were fired several seconds later from close range by Rolf when the other officer, Ebel, had control of Kumanjaya, are the basis for the murder charge. The three shots were fired at 7.21pm, 15 minutes after Rolf left the UN Demu station. And again, something like, 10 hours before he was actually instructed to go and arrest Kumanjaya, specifically told not to do it for another 10 hours because it might result in violence. And then, like, fucking surprise, what happened? Um, and there's some other evidence that the prosecution has brought up. Um, for example, there's footage that shows that Rolf had unclipped his gun and had his hand on it as Britain. they approached the house. Um, and Rolf's boss in Alice Springs also gave evidence about this, and um, it was super cooked evidence, unsurprising, coming from a cop. But, like, Mm. this is kind of a side point, but one of the things that he said was, like, oh, yeah, like, a couple days later, we had a welfare check for Rolf to make sure he was doing okay. This welfare check, it turns out, was beers and a barbecue, and they were like, so did you talk to him about this guy that he shot dead? And they were like, oh, no, 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 we didn't talk about it. But it was a welfare check to see how he was going. Um, but anyway, that, that's okay, that's a side point. This guy's evidence that I wanted to talk about. He was like, um, oh, no, it's fine to shoot someone twice. We're told to shoot twice and then check and then shoot more if you want, if it's necessary. Um which is fucked and seems like not the same thing that a bunch of other police trainers has, have said. Um, mm. He also said that walking around with your hand on your gun is personal preference, right? So some officers do it, some don't. There's no real rule about it one way or other. He did say that unclipping it is like not standard procedure or something. I can't remember exactly the phrase, I didn't write it down, but he was like, uh, unclipping it is a little bit more like an intention to shoot before you get there. But obviously he didn't say it quite so directly because that would be like going against his Admitting friend and employee. Wrong. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but like 
even for him to be like, yeah, maybe unclipping it does suggest something is like pretty big from this guy's boss who like bought him beers after this killing. Yeah, Jesus. <sighs> it's pretty horrible. But I kind of already said this, but from my point of view, I think the most damning evidence that this was like deliberate or intentional or done with like the knowledge that they might end up hurting or killing this man is that they directly ignored the orders from their sergeant to go at 5am when it was likely to be less violent. Um, Like it just Mm. seems like they were like, Oh, a less violent option. No, let me get out my gun and go right now. And like the thing about like, Oh, what if we bump into him beforehand? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Let's go right to his house straight away right now. Like, so fucking yeah. gross and seems really transparent uh, to me. But I mean, uh, like, I, I obviously the issue isn't what I think. It's what the jury and judge think. So the trial mm. is continuing. I think it's going to go on for some time. I, I don't know exactly how long they've got blocked out for it. Um, I'm not a law talky guy and I don't really know. But the cynic in me says that I think successful prosecution is very unlikely. Um, Rolf is being charged with murder and then two alternative charges. So it's possible one of the lesser ones might stick. Um, again, I'm sorry, I didn't write them down, but I think it's something like negligence leading to bodily harm or something along those lines. Um, mm. so maybe one of those ones will come through, but yeah, we'll see. And of course we will keep, um, reporting on this as it develops over the next weeks and months. Mm. I find these kinds of court cases to be difficult to talk about because it's like you know, the very narrow scope that you know the, the the very narrow kind of legal basis on which they have to prosecute this guy mm. is so, yeah it's so limited and you end up kind of talking about these things details when did they go to the house was the gun unclipped or not you know right. there is no there's uh, there's no latitude to discuss the broader systemic situation here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and as a result there's kind of you know even if this guy is convicted i mean broadly does that look like justice anyway mm. like i don't know i mean there there's these kind of questions that when you're talking about you know what the courts are allowed to discuss you know you kind of you get forced down this fairly narrow path of discussion yeah um you know but obviously it's important that we keep abreast of it um uh, regardless but yeah uh, i find it sort of difficult to process i feel like when i'm listening to these details that it's like my body is kind of jumping out of its skin and mm, being like mm. this isn't what this isn't what this is about you know yep. but mm. that's the the nature of our um of our legal system it made me think about um the Weinfeller morrison kind of spithoods mm, mm, trial mm. um thing that was happening a while back and how many of those cops were basically saying, oh, we've been told to do it like this, you know, or, or we didn't receive the proper training. And basically what this cop is saying is like, I, I just wonder how much of a, a, a legal strategy it is to to say things that are obviously not what your training says so that later yeah. you can say, well, the training budget's too small. So the recommendation yeah. from this trial is that we increase the training budget. 
Well, it also like, seems to me like maybe it should be a crime to train cops to do things that results in them murdering people. Like maybe the people who set the syllabus or did the training or oversee the training mm. academy should be charged for this as well. Like, I think that's kind of what you were getting at, Zach, is that there's this like systematic injustice and, and like we say at the start of the show, every like ongoing genocide that is continuing every day. Um, and that is it's not possible for the courts to even think about that. Like it, it's just not on the cards and same with this, like the training thing or whatever, like that's not up for discussion in this situation. Mm. Mm. It should be illegal to talk to cops. Now we're talking. Yeah. Now you're getting somewhere. Uh, well, Noon, thank you for taking us through that, uh, really awful, difficult story. Um, and um, I think, yeah, we'll take a bit of a deep breath and then uh, move on to our next segment, which is going to be tonally very different. I so love that far. sting. I love that sting so much. Oh, do you? Okay, good. <laughs> it's so because good. <laughs> it's, it's not one that's got a lot of positive feedback. I'll, oh, I'll, I'll give it five stars. It's Okay, boom. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I'm locking it in. I'm not going to retake the rock scream. It is what it no, is. No, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like um, more of a surf rock scream, but it's fine. Mm, <laughs> mm, mm. Oh, wow. That is such a read. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. That's exactly what I've been trying to say this whole time, but I didn't know how to, how to phrase it properly. Thank you, Tilda. It's... <laughs> um, <laughs> well, okay, on that note. Um, for our last kind of major segment for this episode, I'm going to do another bit of a roundup on uh, the cooker situation in Canberra because there's just so much going on, it's impossible not to talk about. So I'll get into some developments, but first... Potluck, where you bring the snacks. Potluck is a segment where listeners send us a little bit of audio around the minute of themselves doing something, and we play it on the show. And this week, we got a potluck from Jace. Jace sent in a song, and it goes like this. Well, we're going down a camera in our little truck, getting money from GoFundMe, but GoFundMe said get fucked. Going down to Parliament, camping on the lawn. Oh no, the police are here, and now we're moving on. up on uh, Ospol shit posting or something if people want to um uh read that in more detail I've, um see that we'll put it up on genius.com yeah i love nice. the production values there it's got real yamaha keyboard from hard rubbish vibes <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean i gotta respect someone going in for like a three-part harmony on yeah. Yeah. 60 seconds of audio that they're submitting to <laughs> 
a, a minuscule podcast. I mean, yeah, the level of commitment is truly visionary and inspiring. Thank you, Jace, Thanks, for that Jace. musical interlude. And yes, uh, the Cookers are still in Canberra. Um, I gave a little bit of an update last week on what the situation is there with the convoy to Canberra, the millions march against vaccine mandates. Um, and the news this week, well, there's always, there's too much news. Um, but the main thing is there's a bit of a split happening in the movement, which is essentially between your sort of run-of-the-mill anti-vaxxers who just want the vaccine mandates gone, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then your more full-flavoured cookers who think that the government is a cabal of pedophiles. QAnon um, brand. And, yeah, definitely QAnon energy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, without Q. Uh, but... Yeah, I also note that last week, I think I said that the protest was sort of diminishing in size, and I don't think I was right about that. It seems to be getting bigger at this stage, so yeah, it doesn't seem like this story is going to be going away anytime soon. But yeah, as I said, there's too much news, and I read a tweet uh, this week. Someone said that uh, the convoy to Canberra has more characters than Game of Thrones, which is very apt. There are just so many cookers in the mix here. And uh, but thankfully we have a very helpful shitpost of the week. And this week I'm giving shitpost of the week to James Beadle, who is at Thoughtless Deed on Twitter. That's a good handle. He has put together it's a very good handle, and he's put together a full cooker card deck, sort of like you know the deck of cards that the U.S. military handed out. Sure. Um, <laughs> oh, <know>. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, like the Iraq War. Like, yeah, exactly. This I think a, a that might be list. the grossest touchstone for custom playing cards that you could have come up with. Like, and there's some bad ones. Naked people, you know. Like, <laughs> oh, but, well, because it's a list of real life people on yeah. cards, you know. But it's it's not a kill list like the American <laughs> government's deck of cards. Um, it's just a list of uh, cooked characters who are part of this movement. So. Uh, as we go, uh, the, the photoshops are incredible. You need to go over to um, Thoughtless Deed on Twitter and check out the full deck. And you will yep. definitely encounter many, many characters that you haven't seen before in this latest season of um, Australian Cookers. Uh, but I will, through the rest <laughs> of this segment, whenever a specific cooker comes up, I will read Thoughtless Deed's uh, description of them nice, from the cards nice. as we go. So I'm simplifying here, but essentially this split in the movement, you've got two major factions lining up between two figureheads. You've got the sort of medium-rare cookers lining up behind Graham Hood, a.k.a. Hoodie. Hoodie. And the uh, the well-done sort of stick-a-fork-in-me cookers are lining mm-hmm. up behind mm-hmm. Ricardo Bosi, a.k.a. The General. So, <laughs> Bosi has been around for a minute. He's an ex-Special Forces guy, which is cool who uh, tried to start his own anti-vax hyper-nationalist political party called Australia One. Um, if you, <laughs> you might have gotten one of his flies in the mail. I know I did. Uh, anyway, he couldn't get enough members to register, so that party never got off the ground. But uh, here's his cooker card. He is the king of clubs. Ricardo Umberto Garino Bossi, the yin to Hoodie's Yang. Former <laughs> SAS, current political aspirant, after failing dismally, realizes extreme rhetoric is the key to cooked hearts. In Canberra, preaches peace on video once hanging. Thank hoodie, we don't have guns here. So yeah, Bozy failing to get a political party up hasn't stopped him dressing up in full camo gear and strutting around the cooker camp in Canberra. And uh, he often 
gets on the mic at their little sort of circles where they, they pull out a little amplifier and a microphone and, you know, they get each other riled up. Uh, and he says shit like this. So let's ignore the parliament. Don't talk to a politician. They have been protecting pedophiles for ages. They're involved in it. They are Masonic filth. They're into satanic ritual abuse. They used to report this stuff in the paper and on Channel 9 on Current Affair. They used to, and then it disappeared. Why is that? Because they're all in on it. (laughs) I'm not sure it did. Honestly, I think that might be, uh, look, this is a bit bold of me to say, but not true. Oh, <laughs> yeah! Careful, you're well, calling him a liar. Well, I wouldn't go that far. Interesting perspective, Noon. <laughs> I mean, true or not, he's definitely appealing to the fully pilled mm. cookers. Absolutely, but- and he talks like this nonstop, and it's you know, there's always this urgency. We've got three or four days to take this country over, like real insurrectionist kind of like big time. Yeah. And his latest thing is that he wants to create a cooker flag and he's basically going around telling people to take down the Aboriginal flags that are up around the camp because we're going to have a new cooker flag and be unified under one flag. He's a real fucking piece of shit. Like, he's a huge racist. He's, you know, I mean, it's not hard to guess, right? Um, But yeah, apart from the fully peeled cookers, he does also seem to be appealing to the kind of multidimensional light-based being cookers. Um, and I want to play a clip uh, that Tilda actually sent through to me earlier in the week. Actually, Ricardo Bosi, it was, it, was, it was quite interesting because I did feel an energy shift this morning. Ricardo Bosi got up and spoke, and you know, people say what they want about him, but he did. I did like that he said, you know, trust yourself, don't trust anyone else. This is a, it's a collective journey, but if you break it down through the, through the hologram again, as you as a compressed fractal of the universe, a unique universal being, having your own experience, you express your uniqueness in your own way, and people will get what they need to get out of this experience, but I'm looking at these different light beings that have come all, that were on different nodes all around this continent that have heard the call, possibly just to do some fucking energy work there. Just do some fucking energy work, mate, just break it down through the holograph again, fucking, (laughs) all right? Breaking it down through the hologram again, there was Dale Hood, who is also in the Cooker card deck. He's the king of spades. Dale Holmes. Dale is a master of word salad and operates at a different frequency. We can only sit on and absorb his energy and hope some of his light is directed towards us. Uh, so, oh, you're back, Noon? Yeah, sorry. Bale's shrieking a bunch. Uh, you might be able to edit it out, but if listeners hear a little... Every 15 seconds of the rest of the show, it's just Bagel being annoyed. But he he's fine. Poor guy. I'm sure that there's absolutely nothing happening and it's really distressing for him. Yep. Terrifying stuff. <laughs> so that gives you a flavor of your, your more sort of, um, yeah, robust, full-bodied cooker vibe uh, over, you know, un, uh, under the kind of Bozy camp, if you will. And then on the other side, we have Hoodie, who is an ex-Qantas pilot who claims that he lost his job because he refused to take the vaccine. And he has a bit of an interesting history. He has written an ebook about his recovery from being addicted to sex and porn, which, like, I have read some of it, and it honestly sounded like a really rough experience, but just the places these people come from is um, kind of mind-boggling. And if you're worried um, about him, he's, he found the solution, which was... Um, uh, God. Jesus and, Christ. And, yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and getting a good Christian wife. Um, mm. Crucial as well. Um, 
Here is Graham Hood's cooker card. He's the king of hearts. Graham, hoodie hood. Graham states he was forced to quit as a contest captain due to his refusal to take the vaccine. This led to, this led to forming Hoodie's Heroes and now taking up his messianic role in Camp Canberra. Loves singing and tearing up, performatively growing his clan. So yeah, he's got a, much more of a sort of like folksy energy. Um, you know, I mean, Ricardo Bosi's nickname is The General. And his, sure, yeah, uh, he's not very folksy. His, He's not folksy. His oratory style is, well, as we heard before, you know. Uh, he's a bit of a showman, he's a, he's a showman. He is. Uh, but, you know, he, he's, he's, he's kind of doing a strongman cosplay, yeah. right? Whereas Hoodie is much more about doing sing-alongs, talking about how much he loves his wife and he just wants to get back to his wife, but it's really important that he's here in Canberra. And, you know, he is not into the sovereign citizen stuff or the pedophile cabal stuff. He's really there to end vaccine mandates and get jobs back for unvaccinated people. And a recent development this week is that he is now officially endorsed by Reignite Democracy Australia, great, which is great. one of possibly the only uh, anti-vax party that actually managed to get off the ground and get registered, headed up by Monica Smith, who's an early cooker influencer. People have probably come across her mug uh, frequently over the last year or two. But having said all that... But so he one of the ones on. who, who went into Parliament the other day with Craig Graham Kelly. Graham Hood, he, he is. Yeah, yes. yeah. And that caused a bit of... Because that, that's another one of the splits in the camp is you've got people like Guru and stuff who are like, we don't talk to politicians. We don't even need to leave this camp. We don't need to go to the satanic Parliament house with all the work's happening here. You know, it's all, you know, like... And there, there's been a bit of argy-bargy between the people who are angling towards parliamentary politics and the mm. people who are angling towards like interstellar politics and <laughs> yes like, just take, taking up rifles yeah but- no absolutely i mean it's like it's it's quite interesting because the hoodie sort of section represents this sort of reaching for legitimacy by the movement mm. he's the one yeah he tells them yeah, not to swear and stuff at the rallies when they're chanting like fuck scomo or whatever he's like no i don't use that language you know and like exactly he's 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 the rationalist he's calming them down Having said all that, though, <laughs> he's still a completely fucking delusional cooker. Um, <laughs> you remember last week, Noon, and possibly Tilda, if you were listening in as well, there was the whole um, Barnaby text shenanigans yeah, where yeah, it came course, out yeah. that he'd been um, talking shit about Morrison behind his back. And we didn't mention this last Via week. Via Brittany Higgins. Ex- well, Via mm. Brittany Higgins, which <laughs> still Mind threw boggles. my head in. Yeah. Um, and we didn't mention this last week, but after those texts were leaked, Barnaby offered his resignation to Morrison, who rejected it, and, you know, we're all sweeping it under the rug. But here's what Hoodie told a crowd of cookers after that happened. Because you turn up, this government is falling. Yeah! Deputy Prime Minister... Chief Cook and Bottle Washer Barnaby Joyce offered his resignation to the Prime Minister today. (laughs) Yeah, so that's Graham Hood taking credit. (laughs) Yeah, taking credit for Barnaby Joyce's resignation, which also didn't happen, which is very... Yeah, you know... The other thing to say about Hoodie is he loves himself. He is, like, an egomaniac. You know, he gets up, like, the... 
part there about the messianic role and tearing up in front of the crowd. Like he loves to go up there and say, this is so hard. And you know, I don't want to be doing this and you all are treating me like a leader. And if I have to, I will, you know, and he's expecting them all to just like erupt in like, yes, we love you hoodie. But like, kind of like no one does, but he just kind of <laughs> just plows on like he's, but he's just, oh, it, it, there's so much ego in that man. Seriously. I mean, and they like, all of these people are right. They're like, all these people are kind of attempting to, redirect the energy or like you know marshal the energy of the movement and very quick like you know the whole thing is is a grift people are you know trying to monetize it and at the yeah the other there are other people whose version of a grift is making it all about themselves um and yeah someone like hoodie absolutely now has one eye on a political career and having been just officially endorsed by an actual literally existing political party you know he's probably feeling pretty good he's probably feeling like the couple weeks he's spent down in Canberra has actually been worth his while in the long run. So, yeah, you mentioned, Tilda, there was this incident with Craig Kelly, mm. uh, you know, formerly Liberals, formerly of the Liberal Party, currently of the United Australia Party, Clive Palmer's party, who took a delegation of cookers into Parliament House, including Hoodie, and also including Simon Boykov, a.k.a. the Aussie Cossack, who people might remember... A few episodes ago, we noted that Friendly Geordies and, and Aussie Cossack had had a little bit mm. of a chummy run-in um, <laughs> on the steps of a courthouse in Melbourne. And, uh, yeah, you know, Craig Kelly taking Simon Boykov into Parliament has, has stirred up a bit of controversy because of, you know, the fact that he has called Australia an enemy state and has spoken about wanting to liquidate his political enemies and, you know, generally being a fucking weird pro-Putin dickhead. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of incredible how much politic political legitimacy you can just absorb from like just hanging around. He now seems to be mm-hmm. running as an unofficial UAP Senate candidate in Strathfield, I think. Uh unofficial because he's all his um election material is in like the UAP colors, but you know, there's just no official endorsement yet. Sure. So but like the UAP is really working overtime to to try and corral this cooker movement into some kind of, yeah, like electoral political energy that they can use. Like they're out there putting on barbecues for the people. Craig Kelly is going and talking, you know, giving speeches and meeting with the people and whatnot. They're George Christensen's talks. been there in the crowds. George Christensen is there. Like there is, yeah, I think we're, we're seeing and, and this and, you know, the, the kind of split between the people who don't think that um, Parliament is a pedophile cabal and the people who do, you know, that that is sort of indicative of the fact that, yeah, there are people who, who they have their eye on a little bit of political legitimacy. People like Hoodie, they think this is actually an opportunity for me. We could actually, you know, maybe there's a career in this for me. So, you know, it remains to be seen exactly how effectively the UAP is going to be able to translate this stuff into any kind of political momentum. You know, I think it's unlikely, as as I said last week, that it's going to do anything other than ultimately, like, mildly bolster the Liberals' vote. But sure. it's underway, it's continuing, and it's entertaining every second of the way. <laughs> um, the last thing I'll say before getting out of this segment is that the campsite where the cookers are all staying at the moment is booked to host the Royal Canberra show starting on Sunday. Um, so the people who run this site have been putting up little A4 pieces of paper being like, please 
um, we need you to leave by <laughs> midday Sunday. Freedom! So, <laughs> yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, uh, to quote uh, a certain song, oh no, the police are here, and now we're moving on. Um, but uh, as... Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, which, you know, it is funny. There's There's a lot of comedy to be had here, but always I do have this twinge of like, guilt or empathy for some of the people who get swept up in this thing. And uh, as Celery Sorbet said on Twitter, um, I think earlier today, the only part of this freaking me out is a number of times during the week, there have been call outs for whole families turning up in need of tents and clothing for them and kids. Clearly mm. there are some people there with nothing and nowhere to go. Yeah. Fine. So the cops are going to move in because the co the cookers aren't going to move, uh, aren't going to move on voluntarily. And things are probably going to get significantly worse before they get better. So I'll definitely be keeping an eye on that situation as, as it develops. But um, in the meantime, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to laugh at the people trying to um, turn this into a career for themselves. I, I'll stand by that. It's the most entertaining thing on telly. It's great. <laughs> it is, you don't need I... to watch Married at First Sight. You don't need The Bachelorette or anything. You need... You just need to Cook break it can. down through the hologram again. Yeah, yeah, just break it down through the hologram again. Do some fucking energy work, and <laughs> <laughs> that's the end of our show, isn't it? That's pretty much the end of the show. If you want a podcast, you gotta do a lot of shit. That's not technically podcasting. You still gotta do that shit. Thank you all so much for listening, as always. And thank you, Tilda, so much for coming on the show. It was really great. Um, you're very thoughtful and, you know, tapped into political events. And it's always good to get your perspective. And, and great to have you, like, live instead of potluck. So, yeah, thank you so much. Um, listeners, thank you for listening and, and supporting the show. Once again, we have a, a Patreon. If you want to give us actual cash dollars, patreon.com forward slash Snackpod. If you don't want to or can't afford that, you can support us in other ways, like following us on social media, retweeting, liking, etc. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, all at OzPolSnackPod. If you want to send us a potluck, uh, possibly a short song that you've written about cookers, you can record yourself for approximately one minute and send it to us at contact at OzPolSnackPod.com. Also, apologies to the person who sent us a potluck this week that we didn't play. We'll get to it next week, we promise. We're very excited to talk about pedestrian helmets but we'll get there uh is there anything else yes noon just like every week it's reviews you can leave us a review over on apple podcasts you can rate and review us there and you can give us a uh rating on spotify as well and this week we got a new review over on apple podcast which we had asked people for because the most recent review that we'd gotten was one star <laughs> and was it uh particularly flattering this one is slightly more uh it's titled just like an ospol snack paints <laughs> just like an ospol snack meme only meteor five stars <laughs> it's as cathartic as listening to a couple of mates riff on news and politics but from the comfort of my headphones while i do other things nice it makes me grin and sometimes snort with laughter while riding my bike through nams in a north like an elitist swine thank you very much rach from oz for that thank you lovely review uh glad to be making you grin and sometimes snort it's got a great date as well, the 2nd of February, it's, 2022. And it's, it's an auspicious date as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, uh, good. Well, before we finish uh, up, the other thing. Yeah. 
The P-Zone. Yeah. The P-Zone. Tilda. Hi. You I'm... need to plug yourself. I've got to plug myself. Okay. you got to... Well, do you have anything to plug? Yeah, i got a couple of things on the go. Plug um, away. Sure. You can find me on Twitter.com. I do most of my posting there. Um, I'm at Ultros underscore pro. That's U-L-T-R-O-S. Um, I also stream on Twitch, do a lot of like uh, Japanese role-playing games. Um, at Ultras Professional is me on Twitch. On Wednesday nights, um, I'm on with um, Extremely Online Left um, on Twitch again, um, and we um, just talk politics and, and watch like NITV and McAuliffe and hang out. Um, oh shit! Somehow and- I missed that. I didn't know that, that was happening. Hell yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, good hang out on the Wednesday night. It's yeah, good yeah. fun. Okay. Um, and then uh, over at 3CR Community Radio, I do the Squatters and Unwage Workers Airwave Show um, on the first Friday and the last Friday. Oh, sorry, first Friday and fifth Friday of the month because sometimes there's five Fridays <laughs> in a month. Um, so that's where you can catch me. And um, thanks so much for having me, guys. I had such a great time recording this. Oh, you bet. I was, bet. A, it was, I was in a bit pleasure. of a dud, dud mood when I started, but now I'm feeling quite nice. So good on yous. Oh, that's oh, that's what we like. That to usually hear. happens to me as well when we record. So it's nice that that's also f- true for our guests. That's great. Also, I do Twitch. Uh, new Crusader Kings expansion. Come watch me. Uh, whatever. All right. Well, before we get out of here, we got one more thing to do. Now it's time for a pub game. Yeah, we've been hearing from Bagel a lot this episode. What's yeah. going on? Yeah, so me and Bagel are um, out of town. We're staying at a, a, a friend's, whatever, friend's place up in, in Trentham uh, on Judge Alburn country. It's delightful up here. We're here for a few days. Um, Bagel's been having a great time uh, running around the fields and, and so on. Um, and we're sort of staying in the like separate kind of guest house kind of thing because there are cats in the main house. And uh, last night, I, you know, it's time to go to bed, wandered out, and... Um, Bagel had somehow escaped from the the guest house. Oh, no. He was kind of hanging out the front of the the door of the main house, being like, "Oh, it's my friend Noon. Hi." Um, and I like <laughs> nearly had a heart attack, but it was he was happy to see me and grabbed him and popped him back in the room. Uh, went back and I was like, "Hey guys, Bagel got out. I don't know what's going on. A bit alarming. Just a heads up." And then went back and he'd opened the door again and was coming out. So. Very stressful. We've managed to figure out a series of locks that means he can't get out anymore, but um, quite alarming, but also impressive. Like, I could have just gone back to my room and the door was open and he was gone forever. So it's, like, actually extremely good that he just came and wagged happily. He could have been out for literally hours and and just hanging around, but I have no clue. So, um, yeah. Probably the worst possible disaster, like potential disaster that I've ever had with Bagel, but it all turned out swimmingly. So, whew. Whew. Why? Yeah. That would have given me a, 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 my body would have just completely ceased functioning. Yeah. I've been in yeah. that situation, I imagine. The Dante old is not adrenaline rush. Cats. Yeah. No, yeah. no, absolutely not. Mm, yeah. Mm. yeah. What is up with Dante recently? Yes, well, we are we're heading uh, we're heading out of town as well. Holly and I we're going uh, to the south coast of New South Wales for a couple of weeks. We're going to work from there, and that's like a ten or eleven hour drive from Melbourne. Oof. And Dante really does not like being in the car, mm. um, so we're going to have ourselves and everything we need to live, and also an extremely upset dog in in the car for uh, yeah half a day. Basically, the arrangement needs to be that 
uh, Holly drives and I sit in the backseat and basically constantly stroke Dante's head and, and feed him, him a nonstop yeah. stream of treats. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So that he doesn't completely lose his shit. Um, yeah, I've never tried doing something like this with him before, so I have no idea how it's going to go. Uh, yep. But I guess uh, we'll find out and I'll let you know on next week's pup date. So stay tuned. I mean, see if you can get some catapress. Uh, that's, it's, you know. Good for dogs uh, or, or valleys or whatever. It, you know, call your vet. That's obviously. not a bad Don't idea. Just, like, maybe give him random maybe drugs, but like, it's really helpful. <laughs> Good so, idea. Snack pod recommendation: give dogs yeah, yeah. drugs. <laughs> mm-hmm. You heard it Val here first, up. everybody. All right, team. Well, thank you very much for tuning in, everybody. Thank you very much, Tilda, once thank again you, for coming on the show and and edifying us and our audience. Thanks. So and fun. Right, excellent. Uh, well, we will have to do it again soon. And uh, for everyone else, Noon, do you have something you want to say? Being happy brings healthy heart and beauty. Oh, superlative. Thank Ballers. you. No, no. Keep on week. snacking in the free world. Fuck Joe DeBruin, Crunch Crunch. <laughs> nice. <laughs>